Well, if you're a, a guest with us, uh, you're catching us in the middle of a, a sermon series that's taking us through the Apostles' Creed, and it's just titled The Creed, and uh, in it we're, we're simply exploring what Christians believe, and uh, whether, whether you've kind of hiked this trail of Christianity for years, decades maybe, or whether you might feel like you're more kind of in the parking lot at the trailhead, looking up, wondering if this way might be for you. Uh, the Apostles' Creed is a great help, uh, no matter where we're at. And um, we've, we've been thinking of it this way. I was poking around on the internet uh, one time when I was looking for maps, and I stumbled onto the National Geographic site where you can download really detailed maps like this one. And if, if you could get up close to this, you could see this has all of the topographical elevations. The orange areas are residential areas, so they don't include every structure in those areas. But everywhere else, every structure is included on this map. I mean, this map has everything. So if that's like the Bible, the Apostles' Creed is like this. It's just the big roads. Right? And it doesn't include every last detail. It's the well-worn paths of the faith. And there certainly is a time for the map with every single detail. And there's a time for the pocket map that just has the well-worn paths, the, the main things. And that's what the creed is. And we've, we've worked our way through the first portions of the creed. I believe in the Father. I believe in Jesus the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And today we're at this phrase, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And like all the rest of the Apostles' Creed, it's, it's based entirely on Scripture. So let's look at one of the passages this morning upon which this part of the Creed is based. It comes from 1 Peter, uh, chapter 4, verses, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. So let me read this for you. It, it'll be on the screen too. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and, and precious to him, Of course, this is speaking of Jesus. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe... The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Friends, indeed, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So just a a quick review on the Apostles' Creed, some background here. Uh, It wasn't written by the Apostles. It just is a summary of the Apostles' teaching. uh, And it, it began as a kind of a curriculum for people in the early church who had come to believe in Jesus and were followers of Jesus and were seeking to be baptized. 
And it was a three-year curriculum, actually, this, this Apostles' Creed was. And it, it charted a course of study for people over three years prior to their baptism. And the goal was that, that people could have kind of a comprehensive understanding of the basics of Christianity. So that's where this thing started, and it has come down through the centuries to us today. Again, a pocket map, uh, the main pathways of the faith. And this one, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. So just, just two things as we get started. If, if suddenly your mind is stuck on the word Catholic and you're wondering, what do we mean by that? Just hold on to that for a second. Put it on the mental bookshelf. We'll come back to that. Uh, and second, let's get clear on what we mean by church. Uh, the, the, the Greek word used in the New Testament is ekklesia. And it actually means those who are the called out ones. Uh, ek means out of or from, and kaleo, that verb, means to call out. So the ecclesia, the church, are the called out ones. Uh, so again, the church is not a building. The church is a community, people who are followers of Jesus, not just people who think well of Jesus now, people who follow Jesus. And if you're a member of the church, you're a part of that body, just like my arm is a member of my body. We're not members of this thing like we might be members of an athletic club or something. We're members as, you know, my finger is a member of my body. That's what it means to be part of of the church. As such, you don't go to church. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are the church. You know, church is people, not building. Uh, we, We are the church. So with that in the background, let's dive in to what we believe about the church. Up till this point, everything we've affirmed about the Trinity, God uh, uh, the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, has been either invisible or kind of distantly historical. You know, the message about Jesus, which we very much believe, but his life, death, and resurrection happened 2,000 years ago. It's way back there. And then we get to this phrase, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, and we run smack in to the nitty-gritty details of life. Specifically, other people who are just like you and me, broken, fallen, imperfect, uh, who often feel more like we're failing than succeeding. I mean, this is really where the rubber meets the road. Inside every church, you will find contentious people, unkind people, greedy people, unreasonable people, thoughtless people, critical people, cantankerous people. And we all know it's not just them. Because when we blame them, that finger turns around pretty quick, doesn't it? And there's a a joke in pastor circles. Hey, how's how's your church going? Oh, it'd it'd be great except for the people. (laughs) Of course, we're all part of that, right? And corporately, the church has a checkered history. I mean, think... Inquisitions, think crusades. The church has a checkered present. Think Willow Creek, Roman Catholic sex abuse scandal. I mean, this group of people we call the church can be really, really messed up. And yet Christians stand around the world and say, I believe in the holy Catholic church. So what does that actually mean? What, what, what do we mean when we say that? 
first, let's get clear about what it doesn't mean. This does not mean that we do not believe the church is uh, not guilty. I'm sorry, it doesn't mean that we believe the church is not guilty from all the bad stuff that, that I mentioned. It, it does not mean that we turn a blind eye to abuses and simply hunker down in a corner somewhere and keep repeating, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, I believe in the Holy... as if it might make everything better. No, God is very clear. Right? He's not as much concerned about our sacrifice as he is about mercy and justice. Critically important in what God calls us to. So it doesn't mean turning a blind eye to injustices. We need to speak truth to that and confront those things. So what does it mean? Christians through the centuries have affirmed our belief in the church using four primary words. Two of them are included in the Apostles' Creed. All four are included in the Nicene Creed. Here they are. The church is one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. Now that can sound a little heady, but it all makes sense. So let me, let me, let me break it down for you. It all flows from Scripture. When Jesus spoke of the church, he said this, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will build my, my church, not my churches. There's only one church, meaning the people from every tribe, nation, and tongue around the world whom God has called out to a life of faith and obedience to him and a life of following him in mission in the world. And it's part of the passage we read this morning. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, not houses, being built into a spiritual house. There's one church, and the church is one. Paul gets at this in Ephesians. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There is one church, and the church is one. A couple Sundays ago, we celebrated World Communion Sunday. That's the point of that day. There's one church, and and the church is one. It's all based on the foundation of faith upon which we stand. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. The church is one. The church is holy. Not holier than now, not better than everybody else, The word holy simply means set apart for a special purpose. That's what it means. It's in the the passage we read today too. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation set apart for a special purpose there. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Set apart, right? Chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession for a special purpose to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. We're called to live against the grain of the world and the flesh and the devil. That's really the theme of the entire book of 1 Peter. Called to live against the grain. Uh, G.K. Chesterton said it this way, a dead thing can go with the stream. Only a living thing can go against it. The church is holy 
We're called to live against the grain for a, per, for a specific purpose. The church is Catholic. Uh, now, now, small c Catholic now. This doesn't mean the Roman Catholic Church. That would be capital C Catholic. It comes from the Greek word katholikos, which simply means universal or according to the whole. So you, you could actually say, oh, uh, my wife has Catholic tastes. And that would mean that her tastes vary widely. And that would be true of my wife, actually. (laughs) Uh, One author I enjoy said it this way. In saying that the church is Catholic, we're affirming that its message is valid and relevant to every age and every situation. There was only one message. There wasn't a message for the second century and a new message for today. There was one message. There's one gospel. It is relevant to all people everywhere forever. That's what we mean when we say the church is Catholic. It's the universal church of Jesus. The church is apostolic. You know, the very first description in the Bible of the very first church is this. It comes from Acts 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. See, the very first description of the very first church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Meaning, all that happened in the life and and death and resurrection of Jesus, that that, that has always been the gathering center of the church, the gospel, from from the very beginning. And it should always be the gathering center of the church. It's, just, it's not that we, that we believe Jesus was just a, a good person whom we should model. We believe something happened on the cross that, that through Jesus, God made atonement. A transaction took place. Jesus' final words on the cross, it is finished from a Greek phrase that was stamped on, on uh, invoices when they had been paid in full. It was a commercial word. It meant the debt has been paid in full. The instant Jesus died on the cross, the moment before that, he said, it is finished. Your debt has been paid in full. And it's so important in the church in our day, especially, I believe, to make the gospel explicit because it's very easy for Christians to fall into the rut of thinking that Jesus died to forgive us of all the bad stuff we've done in the past, but that somehow we're responsible for keeping ourselves entirely clean in the present. Friends, that's not the gospel. There are ethical implications of the gospel for sure. We continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but that's the process of becoming more Christ-like, not establishing a relationship with God through our own effort. See, the gospel is about God. Uh, Go back to the, the Microsoft Word image here, right? The gospel is about God highlighting the perfect performance record of Jesus on his resume and pressing control C copy And then coming over to our resume and highlighting the whole thing and pressing control V paste. And onto your resume is pasted the perfect performance record of Jesus. Not just for your past, not just for your present, but for your whole life forever. You can feel the freedom, right? What would it be like to live and really believe that? I'm free. Completely free. This is why the Apostle Paul can say things like, if God is for us, who can be against us? Look, he copied Jesus' performance record and pasted it onto my resume. I'm untouchable. It doesn't mean we don't suffer, but our relationship with God is secure forever. 
finally, fully secure. That's the gospel. That's what it means that the church is apostolic. We gather around that message. That message is our center. See, the church is apostolic, we believe, in two ways. We believe in the teaching of the apostles, and we advance in our day the work begun by the apostles. And this is all what it means to say, I believe in the holy Catholic church. So that's kind of the teachy part of the sermon. Now, what does this mean for you and me where we live outside of when we just gather here together on a Sunday morning? Uh, Most of you know, uh, if you're part of this church, that I'm kind of a Starbucks guy. If Rick Zomer is here, he is. Rick Zomer and I should have bought stock long ago in Starbucks. (laughs) Uh, In fact, this message was written at a Starbucks. Uh, it's good for me. They got me in the third place thing. You know, you need somewhere to work that's not home and not the office, and that's really why I go. I rent a table by buying a cup of coffee. Um, but, But it's a cultural immersion every time. And let me tell you, Starbucks, as a corporation, they are masters, absolute masters of discerning uh, the tensions and needs that we feel in, in our society and our culture and positioning themselves as the solution to all of that. Really. This directly from their career page on the website. Be more than an employee. Be a partner. Be a partner. And this, connect with something bigger. You probably can't read the part below. Being a Starbucks partner quote, employee, means becoming part of something bigger, inspiring positive change in the world while you grow in your career and in your community. It's an opportunity to be your personal best. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to target Starbucks, nor anyone who works at Starbucks. Sometimes I feel like I'd love to work at Starbucks. Like, legitimately, you get to connect with people, it's kind of a thing, and, and they've got a good thing going that way, really. Uh, but, but this thing, Connect with something bigger. (laughs) I mean, come on, Starbucks. Come and preach the sermon for me. We were all made for more. Everybody, everywhere feels that. And if as a company you can pitch, hey, you were made for something more, come and we'll help you. Help you experience that. You know, who doesn't want to be part of something bigger? I mean, all, all sorts of help, self-help stuff is out there. All, all citing the scientific research that people enjoy life more and have a deeper sense of meaning if they feel like they're part of something bigger. If you go to actionforhappiness.org, you'll find be part of something bigger as one of the 10 keys to living a happy life. And you can find all sorts of suggestions as to how we might build, find, or choose a life that helps us feel like we're part of something bigger. I mean, we're, we're all made for more, right? And the good news, the good news of the gospel is that we do not have to build it or find it or even, at the end of the day, even choose it because it came to us in a person 2,000 years ago at that first Christmas, in meaning and purpose found us and moved into our neighborhood. <laughs> that, that meaning and purpose, that something bigger of which we are 
apart. It's not just an idea, not just something that kind of we learn about in Sunday school or, or center around on, on a Sunday morning. It's not just an idea, it's personal. Personal not as in private, but personal as in a person named Jesus. If we're in Christ, we've been united with Christ. And as, as followers of Jesus, we participate in the divine life that Jesus shares with the Father. Well, that's kind of big. I mean, as followers of Jesus, we are adopted into God's family. A little boy was teased at school by others. He had been adopted. And another boy said, ah, you, you were adopted. Uh, you weren't really born into your family. And the little kid responded, hey, my parents chose me. right? God the Father, the perfect parent now, no matter what our earthly image of a father or experience of a father might have been, God the Father, the perfect parent, has chosen you, picked you out of a crowd and said, I want you, 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 to us. Amazing. As followers of Jesus, God brings us into the family business calls us co-workers with God and the great mission of renewal and and, and redemption that's happening in the world. That's kind of big. Want to connect with something bigger? The point is we don't have to look around to connect with something bigger. It's come to us. Jesus offers it to us. The biggest thing, the biggest deal, the real deal available to everyone everywhere right now. You know, maybe, maybe you're a college student and you feel like you're really struggling to find the way forward. Uncertainty feels like the card that trumps everything right now. In Christ, you are a son or daughter of the king, a child of God's own choosing, bought with a price, not your own, set apart for a special purpose in the world, the object of God's deep affection and care. You are the church. You're part of something huge. Maybe you're in your 90s and and feel frustrated with the increasing physical limitations you experience. You can't do what you once did. You feel less connected, less important, less useful. In Christ, you are a son or daughter of the king, a child of God's own choosing, bought with a price, not your own, set apart for a special purpose in the world, the object of God's deep love and affection. You are are the church. You're part of something huge. Maybe you're walking through the darkest valley you've ever experienced in life. You've questioned God and wondered why all this happened to you. Not only do you not feel part of something bigger, you hardly feel anything at all. In Christ, you are a son or daughter of the king, a child of God's own choosing, bought with a price, not your own, set apart for a special purpose in this world, the object of God's deep affection and care, you are the church. You're part of something huge. Maybe you're a woman who was invited to a day Caloris weekend several months ago. And as the day drew near, you thought of a hundred reasons why you should bail and not come. And if you distill those down to their root cause, it was because you felt unlovable, not worthy, 
ashamed. You didn't want anybody to know. A second-class person, maybe, you felt like. In Christ, you are a daughter of the king. You're a daughter of the king. A child of God's own choosing. Bought with a price, a great price. Set apart for a special purpose in this world. The object of God's deep affection and care. You are the church. You're part of something huge. Friends, we are the church. So often, the story which we rehearse every, every Sunday, maybe hopefully every day in our lives, gets foggy through the realities of the day. We're kingdom people, eternal creatures. These aren't just ideas. This is the truth. Life in Christ lasts forever. We're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. We're the church. And we've got a job that we might declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. No guilt in that. But if we've bailed on our purpose, we need to come back to it. You want to be something, or part of something bigger? You're here. Right? And in Christ we are. We believe in the Holy Catholic Church. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me, would you? God, we do thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for all that you've done for us in Jesus. And we present ourselves to you again, God. Would you... Uh, kind of rinse and repeat anything of this day that was of you and, and play it over and over again in our, in our uh, internal dialogue that we might really get what you're saying to us because we know that you speak words of grace to us, not words of condemnation. And whatever was not of you, uh, Lord, sift that away and may it disappear um, in, the, in the rear view mirror behind us. We love you, Jesus. We turn to you. We want to grow in understanding your words. We want to become more like you in your ways. And we want to follow you in your works. All by the power of your spirit. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.